Seven billion humans on Earth can't all like the same drink. That's why Circle K has Polar Pop and Froster. Pick your flavors and make that one in seven billion mix just right for you. Polar Pop and Froster, just 79 cents each at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations. Shut up and sit down. I mean, I wanted, I didn't want to miss my own radio show since I said I was going to do it, but, um, you know, I was sleeping really good. You know how when you were little and you would go to sleep, you know, that little kid sleep, you get, you, yeah, I, I had that kind of sleep going on. It was fantastic. Not that I'm, you know, trying to be an asshole or anything, just, just saying, just saying. So, <clears throat> tonight we're going to talk about rough trade and um the little black dress challenge and all the bitching i got after it was announced because <clears throat> there was there was like this influx of bitching in my email box about it um um and always uh whenever we get ready for a new challenge um i get three kinds of bitchy emails one i wish you would stop cleaning the side off because stories disappear and they never come back online. Um, two, um, I wish you didn't structure your challenges because it limits my creativity. <laughs> and three, <laughs> and three, I don't know anything about blah blah blah. Usually, it, like when we did um, Harry Potter and Stargate. People got pissed because it was Harry Potter and Stargate. Um, I had four different emails complaining because um, people who participate regularly in the challenges don't actually read the Sentinel, have no idea what to do with the Sentinel, and they're pissed because um, they apparently don't know how to read. Because I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, Fusion doesn't take much. All you have to know is the basic canon, which you can learn on Wikipedia or fan lore. Let's be honest, it's not difficult. You could read one or two stories in a fandom and figure out what you want to use from that to put into your story to make it a fusion. It's not rocket science. And the Sentinel concept is the easiest thing to do. All you have to do is have a character with advanced senses. And the rest of it's fanon. All that stuff in the Sentinel fandom is, is like 95% fanon. There are no prides. There are no packs, clans, whatever. None of that exists. Alpha Sentinels don't exist in canon. None of it exists in canon. The guy concept was mentioned once 
in canon, and that was by a bad guy. The spirit animals are largely undefined, and their purpose is unclear in canon. We only ever, I think we might see Blairs. We definitely see Jims. Um, I've not watched all of the Sentinel. I've watched like the first season at this point. Uh, so I don't actually know how advanced that whole spirit animal concept got as the series advanced. Uh, so, and Sentinels don't have to be good. There was a evil Sentinel in the series itself named Alex. And <coughs> so really all that stuff you see in like the Sentinels of Atlantis or the unlikely and the unwilling or the awakening, those are my series and Lady Holder series. Um, and every other story you see in the Sentinel fandom is like 99% Fanon, because none of that shit actually exists in canon. And so you have plenty of room to play and be creative. There's no need to be afraid of it. You can make your own Fanon. You don't have to um, dig deep into the Sentinel fandom. In fact, I don't recommend it. I don't recommend you dig deep into the Sentinel fandom because um, it's cliquish and it's... um, mean and if you don't do exactly as you're supposed to do with Blair they get really mad at you just saying just saying I had that experience I don't recommend it you gotta be stone cold to get into the Sentinel fandom and not take that shit seriously I'm I'm just being for real because these, these they can be real assholes Um, but, uh, cleaning off rough trade, I do not have the funds. I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I do not have the money to run an archive. Running rough trade and my site on the same hosting package is expensive. I'm not going to get into how expensive it is, but I will tell you that I do not have the ability financially to host an archive site, and that's why Rough Trade will never be an archive. There are plenty of other archive places out there, and authors who participate in Rough Trade can use those sites. They can use WordPress for free. I could run an archive on WordPress. I used to put challenge, and but the thing is, is... Um, very limited on WordPress.com, and I didn't like it, so I moved it so I had more control over how Rough Trade was presented, and um, that's how we got our membership-only um, section, which people get mad about. Uh, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it's going to be. Uh, I'm not going to invest my time in hosting an archive on WordPress.com. Um, because, again, still they would still be having to move their content, and a lot of authors just don't want to do it. They also don't want to participate in an archive situation, which is why they're on Rough Trade to begin with. Reading on Rough Trade is a privilege. It is a privilege you can lose, as people have learned recently. Um, there are currently mm, six people who have been banned permanently from Rough Trade, um, and they will not be allowed to return. And that's just, um, 
don't give a fuck if you don't like it. <clears throat> so I'm not going to run an archive. I financially can't support it. I don't honestly have the time to maintain it because it's work. It is serious work. That's why AO3 works on volunteers and why they have um, big donation drives because they need the money. And the last thing I'm going to do is open myself up to more bitching from fandom. I'm just not going to do it. So if you read on Rough Trade, and I know people get mad because they can't copy and paste, and I know some people have figured out how to get around that, I would prefer not for you not to discuss that. Seriously. Um, you don't have a right to keep anybody's rough draft. You really don't. It is ugly-ass behavior. Uh so, no, you, I'm, I'm not going to turn off that plug-in that makes it impossible for you to copy and paste so you can keep stories you, that you don't have the right to keep. Um, two, I'm not going to open Rough Trade back up to the public. It's free to join, and currently I don't have any kind of um, uh, moderation on who can join beyond the ones that I have banned uh, through their email and their IP address, DNA, our family tree. I'm just kidding. I haven't gotten anybody's DNA yet. It's coming, though. I'm going to put a retina scan on the site one day. You bitches watch. Anyway. <laughs> um, you know, the thing is, and if you violate the rules of rough trade, I will ban your ass because I, I'm, I'm tired of playing with you bitches. I'm, I'm really tired of it. I, um, I'm not going to tolerate, especially during this next challenge. Um, I'm gonna institute a three strike rule. Oh, good lord, Senna. Um, Senna tells me that her eyes are permanently dilated. That's bad. That's really bad. I bet you look like a little Monchichi. You guys ever? She's probably too young. But there used to be this little cartoon on TV called the Monchichis. <laughs> there these little, these tiny little primate-looking things, and they had these big eyes. <laughs> I'm not making fun of you, sweetheart. I promise. <laughs> but I got myself tickled. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, um, <laughs> I had a few too. I had a few Monty cheese. Um, I am going to institute a three strike uh, uh, rule on Rough Trade um, as far as feedback goes, and I'm going to start uh, banning people from leaving feedback at all if they can't behave. Like I'm going to put them on the list, and they're and they're. Uh, their shit will automatically go to um, the trash or spam or whatever. Because I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm just, I'm not. Because um, there was a while there when I was editing comments, and then during this last challenge, if somebody asked a question, I just deleted the whole comment outright because I'm not going to fucking waste my time um, if they can't pay attention and follow the rules. And if you put a question mark in your comment, I'm going to delete it. 
I don't care if your question is rhetorical. I really don't. Because, number one, I don't have the ability, since I'm not reading all the stories, of which there are practically a hundred at this point on Rough Trade this time, to know what a rhetorical question is for any particular story, and I'm not going to invest myself in figuring it out. That could be lazy. Julie says there are 150. That's absolutely right. There are at least 150 at this point. Um, Because I just recently approved... uh, There are 47 entry um, um, entrants. So 47 times three, whatever, whatever that is. <laughs> Math is not my strong suit. That's 141. That's 141 stories for um, July. And so, and that, and we still have um, until the fifteenth for people to sign up, which I'm really regretting because I wish I'd have made it the first, but I didn't. So now I'm stuck with it, um, the fifteenth. Um, so, and we have currently forty-seven participants. So, we're, we're getting there, getting there. I expect at least fifty participants. Um. I'm going to be really surprised if we don't hit 50, maybe even um, 60, because we've still got quite a bit of time left before, you know, and people can get tempted with plot bunnies and shit. So, and I've already plotted about mine. I plotted my stories four times to prevent my, to, to prevent myself from writing them, and I'm not sure which version I'm going to end up writing at this point. It's terrible. <clears throat> now, when it comes to um, short story challenges, this is going to be our second third short story challenge, I think. Um, I, we we kind of did one in July. Was it, I mean, I'm April. Well, that's more like a novella. But last July, we did do um, 10K challenges, and I failed on my Harry Potter one because it ended up being like 20K. <laughs> I think my Stargate one was like right on the money as far as the 10K goes. And I want to talk to you about short stories and why I um, encourage the format and why I'm encouraging you to be successful at it, and it's simple. It boils down to economics, and I don't mean word economics, which we can discuss later, and I've discussed in depth late before on my radio show. I'm talking about money in your pocket. There is a market for short story work in e-publication, and Lady Holder can attest to that. I'm going to put her on the air in a few minutes. Um, there are a lot of e-publishers out there that look for 10 to 20K works, and if you can produce those and do it very well, you can make money doing it. I'm not suggesting um, that you uh, that you must, but uh, really the short story is um, a, a lost art form in, in a lot of respects because <clears throat> a lot of people can't do it. And I think it's a skill that you should endeavor to learn to to be sharp and vivid with your storytelling and to be um you need to learn how to do it. Take my word for it. <laughs> As someone who writes a three hundred K um series, I'm telling you you need to learn how to do short stories. <laughs> now, this is really interesting. One of um the most robust and um, 
stories on my site is uh, No Enemy Within, and it's the first uh, story in the Lantian Legacy um, series. And people don't honestly pay attention to the fact that it's only 50K. I mean, it's less than 50K, I believe. Uh, it's, And people get really surprised at how short it is because every there is nothing frivolous about Lantean Legacy. Every single word in that story has purpose, and there's nothing extra. There's nothing. Uh, it's 66k. So, and it re and when I and when I read Lantean Legacy, I tend to forget that it's just 66,000 words um, because it's I packed all I packed so much detail into that it's just pick 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 i just packed it just really 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 tight um and so your your goal as a story writer as a as a as a writer is to um to not be expensive with your words i guess you could say you know just keep yourself tight keep your story tight uh, when it comes to short story works, um, subplots are a bad idea. Extra characters are a bad idea. When it comes to writing a short story, you have a small plot, a small story, and minimal characters. You don't have room for ten characters. You really don't. Um, they're they're going to serve no purpose at 15K. You don't have room for a subplot. It serves no purpose at 15K. When it comes to a short story, you have a beginning, a middle, and an end. In fact, when I plotted all three of my stories this time, I plotted them that way. I have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and each one of my sections is 5K. My beginning is 5K, my middle is 5K, and my end is 5K. That's going to give me 15K for each of my stories. That's my goal. And I'm going to be really, really stingy with my words because I want to... um, to write these three short stories and uh I'm gonna put them now I have two sentinel verses. I have the verse Sentinels of Atlantis and I, but I'm going to put my three new stories in the verse from the Awakening. So it's uh a little bit different. Not much but a little bit. Because in the Sentinels of Atlantis, prides were um, in hiding, and they still are in hiding on Earth. They're slowly coming out. But in the Awakening, the pride system is public. And they have uh, DNA testing for compatible matches, which they don't have in Sentinels of Atlantis. So it's going to be really interesting. Um which I've, you know, because I didn't want to, honestly, I'm lazy. I didn't want to create a new um, verse to do my Sentinel stories in, but I also didn't want to connect them with a series, so I was like, "Mm, so what do I do? So I just, I threw them all in my established Awakening verse because I can write individual stories that are not connected, so they're not a series work, Um, which is important because um, they're just all in the same verse. It's important because if you rely on a series concept when you're writing these short stories, you're not actually you're not actually accomplishing your your goal of, of writing a short story. A short story has to stand on its own. 
it has to stand on its own. It cannot depend on the works of others to be understood. So as I go into my first story, which is probably going to be my Harry Potter story, it might be my SGA story, I need to establish up front that the prides are visible, that they have DNA testing for compatible matching, and then I'm done. I've I've got my Sentinel concept, I've got my verse concept down, and then I can move into my story and do my minimal world building, and then I have my short story. And I'll do that over and over again in all three stories because that way they'll stand on their own and they don't need anything else to to work. But because I'm using the same verse details, they can be read as connected, which builds a bigger world for you to play in later. You just got to make sure that your stories stand on their own. That's super important. Uh, Because that's how, when it comes to um, professional work and you're selling a short story, it must stand on its own. Even if you're writing a series, you don't want to create a situation where a reader might be interested in book three, but they're not interested in book one, but they buy book three, and half of what they need to know about your series is in book one. And so they so they spend all of book three confused as fuck. Then they get mad and they don't read you ever again because they get irritated that they would have had to buy the rest of your series to to actually understand what's happening in this book that you, that, that that they bought, and they didn't want to read the first book. And that happens if you have like, um, like say for instance, um, I had a series where I wrote um, both gay and het stories. Um, I have readers who would only read the gay, and I have readers who would only read the het. And if they couldn't read those individual stories without reading the ones they don't want to read, it would create hostility amongst my readers. So when you approach a short story, when you approach any story, it is best, if possible, create it in such a way that it stands on its own. Now, I do have work that will not ever stand on its own. I don't think most of Sentinels of Atlantis could be read individually. I think you could probably read the first one, and never read the rest, and you'd be okay. But if you jumped into the middle of Sentinels of Atlantis, you'd be lost. Because there's so much world building, because of the way I structured Sentinels of Atlantis, the first season reads like one big book. So you have to read it like one big book, which is why I put out one big e-book when I did the series. When I I did the e-book, I waited until I finished the first season. Because I structured the entire season, like it was one big book. And each individual story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. But the series itself, the the first season of Sentinels of Atlantis, has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And you see the climax of Sentinels of Atlantis around episode with the Queen. The Queen episode is our climax for season one because um, it kind of brings everything to a head on Atlantis. And at the same time, um, at the very end, John's brother, David, on Earth, wakes the sentinel. And that is super important. His awakening is super important. 
but you won't know that until season two, which is why Sentinels of Atlantis is connected in a way, kind of like a TV show is. But when it comes to a short story, you it has to stand on its own. And um, I imagine there are people out there right now listening to this thinking, she puts way too much thought into her fan fiction, and I probably do, but I don't care. I do put a lot of thought in it. I, I, I do. I, I really do. Um, let's see. Lady Holder, you're on Hello. the air. Hello. Hello. Lady Holder is in, where are you? Are you in Vegas? I am I am in uh, Stenna's office. Staring up at her from the um, uh, lovely airport she gave me to sleep on. <laughs> she's online too. Uh, she's the one actually in chat. <laughs> <laughs> her dog is cute. Obnoxious, sounds vicious, isn't, <laughs> but it's very cute. <laughs> all right, she sounds so vicious. And all she's doing right now is playing with a toy. I'm holding on to one leg. She's not thrilled. Anywho. <laughs> Anywho, the, the whole thing was There is a time. little there there is a little delay between what's happening on the phone and what's happening on the um internet. It's like I don't know, thirty or forty seconds. Uh huh. Yeah, I can't see anything. Maybe a little that. less. Yeah, I don't. I don't have oh, a computer anyway. with me, so I've got. I've got my tablet. It's not. It's not connecting for that portion of it. So, yeah, not a big deal. The um. The thing with the short stories, I'm. I'm having to learn a lot of these lessons where you don't put the the multiple um, uh, subplots into to be developed at later dates. You know, and and mm-hmm. that's. That's an interesting um, thing you have to 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 remember and learn and tone down because uh, I don't even know what's going on in the fucking chat. Um, yeah, but you know it's it's hard. I'm used to putting in subplots. You know, right? It's, it's not something I'm used to. But hey, you know, you gotta learn and it that was my lesson for the month. <laughs> was, you know, no subplots. Damn it. So eh, whatever. I'm well, learning. Writing a novel and writing a short story are two mm-hmm. very different skills. And some people do very well in the short story format, but have absolutely no ability whatsoever to run a novel. And then yeah, you well, have I'm people getting, who can can write a 400K novel, which isn't good, by the way. Um, it's not. It's great Unless if you can shop around it in the four. King. Hey, if you can write 400K <laughs> right, and yeah, shop it in the four pieces, parts. you're gold. If you can chop it into four pieces, because the fact of the matter is, is a lot of times someone will write something like that, and they can't split it up because that first 100K doesn't have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah, you know. Otherwise, they're they're trying to be the modern version of of um, Tolkien. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, that doesn't sell. 
I mean, Stephen King can sell that. J.K. Rowling, J.K. Rowling can sell that. J.K. Rowling, let's see. I think the last Harry Potter book was almost 300k. It was 200 and something. I mean, it was huge. Something. But mm-hmm. her first Harry Potter book was not. No. It they wasn't. got bigger as the more successful she got. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way in hell she could have sold 200k um, out of the gate. Because no publisher is going to take that risk on a print book. Because that's an that's a putting out that kind of um, size of a book is is a huge economic risk for a publisher, especially a print publisher, and they're not going to do it. So you need to learn word economics. You need to know you need to learn story economics. You need to learn to confine yourself and to confine your ideas. And, yes, you can write a series. Of course you can write a series. But in order to write a successful series, first you need to learn how to write a successful book. Mm-hmm. Lily James is saying, according to a site she's reading, the first book was 76K, and that is actually right on the money for a first book. Um, my first print book was around 75k yeah and my longest print book ever today is 97 because i don't actually believe in writing over 100k for professional reasons i just i don't do it um i have some work that's connected um but all of my work mm-hmm. is, is under 100k mm-hmm. per um per, per per novel because that's just how i learned to structure a book <clears throat> So her first book, which was Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, if you're in the U.K., and Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, if you're in the United States, because apparently the publisher thought that people in America were stupid and we wouldn't know what a philosopher was. Um, Have you met us? was 76K. The last book was 200K. And The Order of the Phoenix, which is the book that broke my heart, was 260K. So, you know, keep that in mind. Um, Harry Potter is one of the most successful series on the planet. Um, If you overlook Fifty Shades of Grey, which we will continue to overlook Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, And uh, even J.K. Rowling didn't put out a book that was 300K. Julie gave me a little image here. I'm going to see what this is about. Okay, so the Game of Thrones is 298k. This is um, a Song of Ice and Fire, and uh, mm-hmm. let's see, these these the are fantasy books, and fantasy writers get away with writing um, big, huge books in a way that nobody else does, especially when it comes to like mm-hmm. the romance market. YA and and fantasy get away. Science fiction sometimes, it depends on the writer, can get away with writing over 100K. But in like... Oh, yeah, I know several who do. The romance market, women's fiction market, no, it's not going to happen. And it happens really rare these days in the print market. Now, the ebook market, that's an entirely different animal. The print market, it's an economic risk to 
publish a book that's 300K, unless you're publishing George R. R. Martin, who wrote the Game of Thrones. Um, his first book was 298, which is a Game of Thrones. The Clash of Kings was 326. A Storm of Swords was 424. A Feast of Crows was 300. And A Dance with Dragons was 422K. And you bitches wonder why it takes him so long to write one? Shut the fuck up, fans. Game of Thrones fans, <laughs> shut the fuck up. These books are not small. Shut up, you whores. Okay, Harry Potter. The Philosopher's Stone was 76K. I'm rounding, by the way. Um, the Chamber of Secrets was 85. And you can see as this, her series continues and she's making more money for the publisher that they're giving her room to to write bigger and bigger books. Um, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban was 107. Um, the Goblet of Fire was 190. The Order of the Phoenix was 257. The Half Blood Prince was 168, and the Deathly Hallows was 198. Okay. Um, Lord of the Rings. The Hobbit was 95. The Fellowship of the Ring was 187, which is, by the way, a really, really difficult read. Um, the Two Towers is 156. And Return of the King is 137. Yes, and that one was so there artificially you go. chopped in three. That one was chopped in three because there was no way that the publisher would have been able to afford to print it as one giant-ass book at the time. Okay? So it got divided by will of the, the, the publisher, which in a lot of ways it's a good thing that they did. I mean, it makes logical sense. But, you know, Tolkien handed the publisher... 500k or 400k of what the fuck? You know, really? <laughs> They're honestly? like, okay, we're gonna put this here. We're gonna put this here. We're gonna put this here. I can't believe you, Dave. Yes. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, um, Which could be why the Re- Return of the King has six endings. It I mean, could be why we have the Council of Elrond too, because he didn't apparently um, edit Tolkien. You know, I'm quoting out of the damn, you know, the appendices of the movies. You don't edit Tolkien, you know. Even though the whole book, all the books make me itch for a red pen. You know, it's a sad thing. But, oh. I would never presume to edit Tolkien, but reading his work is an exercise in masochism, I I have to admit. And not the Um, fun kind. No, not the fun kind. Not not the fun kind at all. Um. So we are getting ready to to move into a new challenge phase for those of you who lived in a cave for the past month. And um, so Rough Trade will be cleaned off on the 1st. If I had my way, it would already be cleaned off. Sometimes, sometimes, uh, see, uh, Barbara's asking how some Rothfuss got such a huge book published. Um, there are a couple of ways a very large book gets published. Um, sometimes a book is so exciting and so good that it goes into auction. Um, and a bunch of publishing houses will send representatives to this to this auction conference, which usually takes place in this 
tiny room or sometimes in an agent's office or sometimes completely over the phone. And um, they will bid and fight, basically, over this book. And so when that happens... There's a lot of excitement about the book in the publishing industry, and it gets auctioned, and um, the author makes a whole lot of money up front. Mm-hmm. And then in order to uh, to make that money, the publisher will go all out. They'll put it in hardcover first, then they'll put it in paperback so they get the audience twice. They'll put it in ebook. They'll put it in audiobook. They're gonna They're going to work the fuck out of this material because they've paid a pretty penny for it. Mm-hmm. And they are going to advertise it in magazines. They're going to advertise it on radio. They're going to advertise it on TV. They're going to put little, little videos on YouTube. They're going to, you know, just they're just going to go all out for this book if they put a lot of money into it. So sometimes a spectacular book will come along, and it will be, even if it's a brand new author, and it's so overwhelmingly exciting for the entire industry. They're they're all geared up for it. And yes, it doesn't matter if it's 100K or if it's 300K if everybody is excited about it. There are, I can't even tell you the statistics, but um, less than 5% of of writers on this planet get published. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Um especially in print, don't make Mm -hmm. your work more difficult to accept. Also be aware of your market. (coughs) Right, yeah, you need to be aware of the market, what's selling, what's buying, you know, what's being bought by the publishers and the editors, you know, what they're really interested in, what what they're looking for. But your goal is not to give publishers a reason to say no. And the biggest reasons they're going to say no is, one, this is way too long. It would cost too much to put into print. It would cost Mm -hmm. too much to put in the stores. Because, you know, if a box can hold 50 books or 25 books, and there's shipping costs and there's production costs... And, you know, all of this comes into play. Every bit of it comes into play. All of these economics when it comes to pub- um, publishing a book, especially in print, come into play. And um, you got print returns. You're, sometimes publishers are lucky to break even on a print book if mm-hmm. it's a risk. And, and, and it isn't a New York bestseller because that that's actually pretty rare. Um, so you don't want to give a publisher you want to give a publisher a reason to say yes, not a list of reasons to say no. It's like um to give an example that I know of, uh personally because I watched it happen. I watched um an author uh manage to get his first book published in hardcover and the publisher in question took the risk, um, knew that, you know, what they were doing was going to be a risk, and yet the book was good enough that it held up, and the author in question has gone on to make that particular publishing house a lot of money 
in a number of different series, and he's now in his 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 subgenre. He's a very large name in there, and it's it's a he got lucky. He in that house got very lucky. All right, but that was part of the reason that 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 particular house was able to do it was they weren't someplace like one of the big three where you're really lucky if if the slush pile gets red and, and your, you know, diamond in the rust gets found, okay? Because that's the other thing. When, when you send in these, these manuscripts, even if the manuscript in question happens to be um, a file that, that's sent in, you know, to an email address, if they look at it and they say, you know, they can see that it is, oh, my holy hell, huge, who knows if they're going to open it? Okay, um, or if they do and they open it and it looks well, if it looks like something that you know came out of eighth grade English, chances are really good it's not going far. Okay, um, and, and you know, everybody okay, knows exactly some, how here's I. Here's some clues. It. Okay. <laughs> When when we get ready, um, I will um, I, I'll host a separate radio show about submitting for publication. I'll okay, we'll do that, and um, I'll get some um, some guidelines together and some stories from other authors, and um, I'll talk to my my guys at my coffee shop and you know get together some <laughs> some some stuff for you guys to hear about that. That'll be really interesting. Um, but it is important when you're um, submitting for publication that you put your best foot forward. Um, nobody is grammar perfect, so don't stress oh, over that. No. I, God, no. But don't send in your first draft either. Never send the publisher your first draft. Um, send in your third draft. And I'm not saying you have to like write the book three times. I'm saying that you need to go through it. You need to put it aside for a week or two, come back to it, Read, do uh, do an edit as thoroughly as you can, send it, send it to a beta partner if you've got one or an alpha reader, whatever you've got. Um, bring it back in, you know, check it over again and read through it some more and make sure your plots are working and make a little document and write your plots down. Make sure you don't have 10, 15 subplots in your short story. Then send it off to your um, to the publishing house that you've chosen. Um, in the format of their choice, very important, uh, and uh, take any feedback you get seriously. <clears throat> and if <laughs> I want to tell you something, I'm gonna, you guys are going to learn from my mistakes. Okay, um, mm-hmm. when you get rejected. And you will get rejected. We all do. It all happens. Nobody, I mean, everybody, I've gotten rejected. I mean, it's going to happen. Do not respond back with hostility. If you feel the need to respond and you don't need to, they don't anticipate a response. Say thank you. And move on. If they offer you feedback and they ask for changes, say thank you um, and indicate whether or not you're willing to do that and ask them 
how they um how you should resubmit it. Say you should I submit it to somebody's attention if they don't give you that information in the email and often they will. They'll say, Okay, we need you to do this, this and this and then we're very interested in seeing it again. Please send it to the attention of and then they'll give you an editor's name. And if they don't, write back and um ask them if that's required. A lot of times it's not. Sometimes it is. It just depends. Especially if a publishing house has several buying editors. Uh, and, and that happens in large EPUBs and in print houses. They'll have several buying editors. Um, and honestly, I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. If your goal is to get into print, you need an agent. Don't submit to publishing houses. Submit to agents. And do not ever, and I mean ever, sign a print contract without an agent. If for some reason you were to get a print offer from a print, from from one of the big three or the lower 15 um, print publishing houses in New York, if you have a contract offer in hand, you're not going to have a problem finding an agent. Uh-huh. I don't doubt. Because you're guaranteed sale right there coming into the gate. You're going to find an agent. Um, you want to make sure you get an agent who has a good reputation, who isn't charging you fees, because um, when it comes to publishing, all the money should flow to you, not away from you at any point. Um, sometimes some agents will have a little office fee, um, and that's not the same thing as, um, like, uh, what are you doing? What am I doing? I'm shifting. Sorry. <laughs> it sounds really weird. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I'm sitting on an airbed, so it's like I have to shift slightly. Okay, so <laughs> I forget what I was saying. Oh, don't sign a contract without an agent. Um, most agents charge uh, a 15% fee, um, not fee, but, but um basically a royalty. They get 15% of what you get from the publisher, and that's completely standard um, and acceptable because oh, yeah. they, they, they do work their ass off for you, and they protect you. Because a print mm-hmm. publisher will fuck you ten ways from Sunday if you let them, and that's why you need an agent. I'm being hmm. serious. E-publishing contracts aren't the same. They're often very easy to understand. There are no hidden clauses. Um... Uh, they don't, but you know, a print house will keep happy. your book forever. Like my um, my biggest print contract, I don't get the rights back to my books until they're five years out of print. Now, time when that actually meant something, but in today's publishing market, it means nothing because it costs them nothing to keep a book in ebook. And that counts as print. That's just it counts as being in print. So as long as my books are in ebooks, those books are contracted with that publisher, and I will never get my rights back. Oh, that just sucks. Yeah, right? That's that's not right. Well, they still pay me. A- I know I have no oh, interest nice. in pulling them. Um. But um, I'm just saying that in today's market, that 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 clause is 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 no longer viable. But when that contract was signed so many decades ago, <laughs> ebooks weren't really an issue, 
And then when my books got put in ebook, I realized it was never going to be out of print. Hmm. But at the time, ebooks were like, I mean, the Kindle wasn't even out when I signed that contract. So. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm not I'm, I'm not mad because they didn't, I mean, ebooks really weren't too no one was thinking about it. My agent wasn't thinking about it. The publisher wasn't thinking, but they might have been. But my agent didn't think about it, and she's been in the fucking business for 40 years. So, okay, that happened. Uh-huh. Now, my last contract I signed has a different clause. <laughs> it does not have that I five years know. out of print. <laughs> because this is how the industry changes. So just keep that in mind. Um Never sign a contract without an agent. If you get a contract offer from an e-publisher and you would like my input on it, I am more than happy to to do that for you in private. Um, I would not, in any situation, negotiate a contract for you because that's not what I do. But I'd be more than happy to give you advice about it if you sent it to me. Like I say, okay, this doesn't work. This is cheating. You know, just I'll be more than happy to find the parts to you that could be problematic. Most e-publishing companies are very reputable. If you would like a list of companies that I trust, I'd be happy to provide that in private, but not in public, because um, I don't want to get into that um, that that particular um, uh, level of of fuck. Um, <clears throat> bad feelings. I don't want. Yeah, I don't want to do that. There are some companies like, ah, no, I wouldn't let you publish me for $1,000. But then others, I'd be like, hell yeah, (laughs) I'm going to dig in. (laughs) Yep. Oh, man. Yes, um, you can buy your, like, I could, in theory, buy my rights back from um, that first publishing house. Um, But um, I, no, no, it's fine. They send me a check every I, – I get two checks a year, and that's fine. Okay. I mean, if I thought they were cheating me, that would be a different issue. Um, but they're not, you know, so it's just my backlist, and I don't worry about it. And so, you know. Yeah, if it works, it works. And who knows, one day you may decide to change that. But – not right this instant, right? No, 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 no. And probably, honestly, um, um, the further I get away from, um, I'm, I just, I've honestly lost a lot of interest in publishing in print. The, the first time it happened, it was super exciting, and I was like, oh, look at it, and I took it around to everybody and showed everybody, and I had a box of them, and I passed them out to my friends, and I was really excited. And now, not so much. <laughs> Yeah, well, and that sounds I can, arrogant, I can see that. but um, it's just a, a change in the medium. And I'll tell you this: I make more money in e-publication than I do in print. Now, mm-hmm. that's long haul because when it comes to print, they send you money in advance, which can be scary. 
because like you get a contract and they and you've written one book and oh well here's a three book deal and you're like yeah I would love a three book deal it's so exciting yay and they send you a check for twenty k and you're like hell yeah this is a new car and you're really super excited you've gotten this big fucking check and you've got this big fucking contract and you tell everybody about it and then you realize you've you only written produce. one book and you've got a deadline to write two more. And then you find mm-hmm. out that you don't do well on deadline. Yeah, you, you don't have a choice because you've already cashed this fucking check and you've already bought yeah. yourself a new car. And so you're going to have to write two books whether you fucking want to or not. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so be aware. Be prepared. Um, I have a cousin who um, who has that same who's who's in that same boat, and um, her first print contract was a, was a, was also um, a, a three book deal, um, uh, and um, <laughs> she she was like four times the asshole she normally is for like two solid years. Oh God, that's and not so good. you know. Um, one of the things about writing for, for Rough Trade that does prepare you a little bit is that you do have a confined space by which you have to write your story. And it teaches you um, also a what your limits are. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's also a deadline. And so you learn what your limits are. Can you write 3K a day? Can you write 10K a day? Can you write 50K in a month? Does it burn you out afterwards? What... um What's your post-challenge situation like? Because when I come out of um, Nano, um, when I'm successful at Nano, which oddly, which to be perfectly honest, hasn't been um, often recently in the past five years, um, coming out the other side of Nano, I don't want to even look at a book for like two or three weeks. I don't want to read. I don't want to write. I want to sit here and play Facebook games and listen to Josh Groban. <laughs> and that's my post-nano experience. Now, that's also my post-experience after writing a book for publication. So if I hammer out 100 k for, for publication, um, at the end of that, I'm going to have a three- or four-week window where I'm not going to be interested in writing anything at all. So you need to know that about yourself and be able to manage your time. And also, if you're working outside the home, you need to know how many hours you can devote to writing a day. Because if you have to write 100K in six months and have it ready to be sent to a publisher, and this is just not right for six months, and then on that last day after you finish writing it, you you send it off to your publisher. That's not how that works. You write you finish your book, then you <coughs> you edit your book, and you have your mm-hmm. writer friends read your book, and they edit your book, and they send it back to you. So six months, it's not six months of writing. Six months is writing, editing, and rewriting. Can you do that in six months? Can you put out 100K, edit it, do two drafts, have it baited, and then send it off to a publisher in six months? Because if you can't, you need to know that about yourself. Can your beta or your alpha reader help you do that in six months? 
you need to know that. So that you can say to your agent or your, to, to your publisher, no, um, I can't accomplish this in this time period. I'm going to need at least eight months. I'm going to need at least a year for 100K. I'm going to need six months for 50K. You need to be able to manage your time, manage your workflow, and um, just you know manage yourself. And what you don't know and what you haven't realized yet, and um, many of you haven't realized yet, is that as we've worked through rough trade, I'm giving you these skills. I'm I'm showing you how to do this. You just need to pay attention. Because if we're doing 50K in November, and then in April we're doing two short stories, and then in July we're doing three short stories. I'm giving I'm I'm teaching you how to to manage your time as a writer um and I hope that you'll take these lessons and and, and use them in a way that will make you happy. Um <clears throat> um but you don't have to. <laughs> it isn't required. <laughs> no, it may not be required, but it sure helps. And yeah, and that's that's a good thing. It really does. It does. It is important um, um, to yeah. manage your time wisely and to to plot. Um, if you don't plot, that's fine. Um, <clears throat> some people can't. And when you're in a writing environment with a lot of different writers, you're, um, you're, you're going to encounter people with a process that makes no sense to you. Like I'm sure, if you were exposed to the full breadth of my con- of, of, of my writing process, you would think I was crazy. I already think you're crazy. This is—I've never had to be exposed to your writing process. Um, you, you know more about it than you probably should. I want to stab you. I do. Crazy. You're gonna what me? I'm not. You're not gonna do anything to me. I'm normal. I don't want to know what Chet's saying. And if Azura's in there saying something about me not being normal, she can go suck it, Samwise. Now, when it comes to um, e-publishing, there are three big markets for e-publishing. That is 10 to 20K, 20 to 40, and then 50 to 100. So um, I'm actually structuring all the rough trade um, um, challenges around the um, the word links that uh, you need to be familiar with in order to get um, – to get published um, in e-publishing and, and be successful at it. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Mine as well. I, you know, I don't want to put too much of an emphasis on um, publishing um, if because I don't think that's what's important. Now, if you need to make money, that's a good way to make money. I mean, straight up. I mean, it's a good way to make money if um, you can put out books regularly. Mm-hmm. In order to make a living at it, you would have to put out a lot of books with multiple publishers. Um, I think upwards of you probably need to sell close to a thousand ebooks a month to make a mm-hmm. living. Like I'm going to say, thirty k a year, thirty k a year, if, if, if that's your goal. Um, a thousand to fifteen hundred ebooks a month. You would need probably 
um, at least one publication per month at an e-publisher, um, and more than one publisher, I would get at least three or four publishing environments going on if I could. It would take you three or four years to build your audience. But inside five years, if you're prolific and you uh, have publishing relationships with three or four um, established publishers and you're not waiting six months to publish, um, so, so, so you're getting a book out every, I don't know, four to six weeks. If you get a book Sorry, out every four to six weeks um, and uh, you're selling between 1,000 and 1,500 copies a month, you could make a living as a writer. Yeah, the problem with that, that happen particular often? schedule, no. though, yeah, the problem with that particular schedule, though, is, is while you're doing this, you're probably also holding down a job, okay? And right, you, you have know, there's to, a yes. thing called sleep, you know, and, right. you know, sleep and food and, you know, all those little things. And, you know, I, I don't know very many people who can legitimately write, you know, one 20,000K uh, story every six weeks like clockwork and give it all the attention it deserves so that way you can build up that particular um, right. level of reader loyalty. Okay, and and that's that's a major thing, you know, because that's that's what you have to do, and you know, I've got a job. It's rough. Me me making, you know, me doing stuff. It's not easy. I could probably do more, but then I'd be shorting other things like you know sleep, and admittedly, I've done it when I when I've. Um, had things I needed to get done, and, you know, then I pay for it the next day because, hello, I have a job. I need to actually be able to do my job. So, yeah, I mean, pick and choose your battles, people. It's not going to happen overnight. No, and the thing is, is um, a lot of writers go into it assuming that their first book is going to do... um very well, and that doesn't happen. It's it's never going to happen, really. I mean, I would love to uh, say Harry it would have happened, but it didn't. Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, those are they outliers. They had some bills, though, yeah. if I remember correctly. And Fifty Shades of Grey also had a huge fandom before it ever hit. Uh, original mm-hmm. fiction, and I put that in quotes, by the way, if you didn't hear that. I had some finger quotes. Um so you can't compare yourself to situations like that because they don't um they don't really uh it doesn't work that way. Uh City of Bones that started out as fan fiction as well. It did very well on the YA market after it hit because it had a huge fandom already. I I don't approve of using fandom that way. Um, if you're going to write something that's fan fiction, you need to leave it as fan fiction. I, I understand that. I disapprove of Fifty Shades of Grey um, being reworked as original fiction and being sold. It might not technically be plagiarism, 
but it sure does feel like it. The same thing with City of Bones, which I think was originally Harry Potter, right? I have no idea. I think it was originally Harry Potter fan fiction. Um, I don't have any beef with Cassandra Clare. I I think that's her name. Um, I don't care about that whole situation and that whole fandom thing that happened and the the bullying. Well, I care, but I'm not going to express an opinion about um, all that crap that went down there. But what I will say is that I do not approve of fan fiction being rewritten or reformatted, revamped into original fiction and being sold. I really don't. If you have the ability to do that with fan fiction, you can turn around and write something else without using somebody else's characters. Because when it boils right down to it, Anastasia Steele is Bella. She's Bella. And that's plagiarism. It's definitely not kosher, that's for sure. It might not be illegal, but I do think it's amoral. But that's, you know, that's just, we're going to skip over that. We're going to move on, move on, move on. I don't want to get on that, I don't want to get on that (laughs) bitchy box again (laughs) because I already already dedicated a whole show to that. And um, Uh I got accused of of bashing E.L. James, and it's not about that. It's, It's not about that. It's not about, it's about how it was marketed. I don't care about the book itself. I care that it was marketed as a romance when it is not. Anyways. <laughs> the Sentinel and the Rough Trade. Mhm. <clears throat> now, you're writing you're not writing Rough Trade this time, right? No, I'm not. I basically have been writing straight up since about February, and I'm pretty burnt, and I've got some other things I need to get done. So for me, I'm taking this particular one off, which honestly is a good thing because it means that at least one of the mods is going to be staring at all of you people. So, <laughs> you know. what I Billy is writing. Fast, um, yes. Senna's not writing. That's so Senna's available to mod as well. Um, mm-hmm. I'm writing Harry Potter, Stargate, and Criminal Minds. Oh, God. I'm so screwed. I have to sleep sometime. <laughs> J- <laughs> Jilly is writing um, uh, NCIS. She's doing, um, she's really doing something really interesting. She's taking a character, Tony, and she's putting him in mm-hmm. three different verses. Um Oh, that's fun. And writing him, yeah. And so I, um, I think, Jilly, are you? Um, hold, I don't want to say that out loud. <laughs> I can't hear it, so. Um, uh, um, Jilly's so. doing Avengers, Criminal Minds, and Hawaii Five O. Woohoo! That's fantastic. And Jilly's actually on the phone, so even better. Put her on the air. Jilly! Hi. Hello. Hello. I am doing very well. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good, good. actually. Lady Holder is in Vegas. 
what's happening over I there. I guess it's going to stay over there. That's hey, we yes. Well, the freaks and the geeks were really out last night, up to and including some people who were in some very questionable clothes. It was definitely <laughs> a fun time wandering around the strip last night. All right, that's so, Vegas for you. <laughs> oh, so oh Julie, my God! Yeah, go for it. Tell us about your concept and what you're doing for um, Rough Trade, July. So I I have had um. Um, like it just crystallized really quick because I have had three pairings I've always wanted to write, which is Tony Aaron Hotchner and then Ooh. Tony Bruce Banner and Tony Ooh. Steve McGarrett. And Tony's the guide in oh. two of them and the sentinel in one of them. So Awesome. Um, oh that's that's awesome. So it's gonna be I have to say fun. that Tony Steve McGarrett makes my mouth water. <laughs> I am so pretty. <laughs> I I am God. I need. To I'm not sure I can handle that level of pretty. I, <sighs> Joey, you and you and Kira are going to make July so difficult for sleep. Oh, you'll you'll. <laughs> they're sh- they're short stories though. It's not like you're going to be trying to keep up with 5K a day or something. You're kidding, right? I know, There's right? More than just the two of you that I'm going to be reading. So well, I know, you know. but I mean, you won't, you, won't, you won't be getting 5K a day from you know 50 authors. Uh, I know. Um, I'm going to be getting a lot. It's going to be okay. a lot, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an interesting trick. Now, I was, I was when you were structuring the stories... Huh? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. What were you, I was just going to say I was really stoked when you announced this challenge because the I've had this bunny for the Avengers one for a while now, but it hadn't crystallized in my head until you said Sentinel Fusion, and I went, oh, that makes sense. It just will work. <laughs> Boom. Mm-hmm. When you were, I'm, um, I'm now, making 40 years. Go for it. Since you're using Tony as a central character in each one of your stories, they're obviously not connected. Um, what made you decide to use him as your central point? Just because you wanted to do these three pairings, or... Um, I think it's, it's, I wanted to mo- mostly um, um, with the Sentinel. I kind of gravitate toward um, which I actually I read the Sentinel fusions of, of all type, fantasy, sci-fi doesn't matter. But I gravitate towards stuff that's a little bit more of the crime drama vibe. Um, mm-hmm. So in terms of writing it, wanting to write it. Um, so, and then so, I really wanted to explore. So, two of them were wanting to explore different sides of that that thing, which was sticking in a crime drama environment, but with one where Tony's the guide, and then the other where he's the sentinel. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted just something just completely different to stretch to try that. But I, I wanted to try to see what you know. Because in, in all of these, NCIS, I don't list NCIS as a crossover in any of these because he's not at N- NCIS in any of them. So I'm exploring really him in a in a different way where in each case, him coming online pushed him out of NCIS and he had to go find other things to do with his life. So I wanted to explore that dynamic of him being um, 
inter interacting with different away from NCIS entirely, as opposed to exiting NCIS, which is a common thing I I have written in the past, which is him leaving NCIS. In all of these, he's gone. NCIS isn't a factor, so it's just completely exploring one character and how they've evolved in a Sentinel universe, but different different facets of what that looks like for him. And being the Hulk. That's in, that's, okay, go ahead. It's a, it's a great exercise to take a character and, and move him around that way. And each one has different levels of acceptance around it for him. So in some, you know, in some he's mm -hmm. really, uh, one of my titles is I Wasn't Waiting for You, um, because neither side of the party really wants to have anything to do with um, <laughs> bonding. <laughs> They're both perfectly happy with what they've been doing until they stumble across each other. Um, and then it's so different degrees of acceptance of the whole Sentinel and Guide thing. And so there's a little bit of different world building I'm picking out for each one. Um, we're, I'm not trying to get like elaborately different from common fan and tropes because elaborate sentinel world building can take up a lot of words. Oh yeah. If you're oh, diverging, yeah. if you're diverging <laughs> way away from what's common in fan um it can you could spend fifteen thousand words just <laughs> explaining how, what's just different. Just setting so. up your world. <laughs> yeah. Well, so there, there's a the, 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 there's a question in the chat room. Um, that I want to answer. Uh, this is what is the pacing for the daily posting for the challenge? Um, I have not set up pacing, and I won't. And here is why: um, it's important for you to uh, to self moderate. It's an important part of your craft building as a writer that you be able to um, determine how much and when and how you're going to write. You can still only post once a day, um, but it's up to you to determine in the breadth of the challenge how you're going to post, what you're going to post, and what stories you're going to be working on first. And there is going to be no week one we do this, week two we do this, week three we do this. No. You start your first story, you write it till you're finished, and then you can immediately start writing on your second. That sounds like a plan. Um, so I am. Uh, the whole point is for you to plan and create a posting schedule for yourself that works for you, so that you learn to um, self-regulate uh, both your product and your. Uh, your time when it comes to all three stories. Because your goal for the month, the challenge itself is not individual stories. The challenge is to write three stories in a month. Then they must be between the word count of 10 and 15. If you go over 15K on any one of the stories, you've failed the challenge. If you go less than 10K on any one of the stories, you failed the challenge. You know, you don't get dismissed from the challenge if you fail, but you still fail the challenge. So the challenge is literally to write three short stories between these two word counts, period. And if you fail, you fail, and you try again next year. Because we will be doing this. This, this will be our annual challenge, um, and we will do it again next year in July. It will still be the same thing. It will be three stories in three fandoms with the Sentinel 
Fusion. This is going to be our standard challenge because I really like it. I think it has a lot of potential, and it also has a lot of room for you to move um, maneuver around and play. So that's why I structured it this way. Okay, go ahead. I don't know about I don't know about anybody else's vibe on um, um, plotting short stories, but I find I have to be much more of a plotter for short stories than I do for longer stories. Um, I can mm-hmm. pants a long story pretty much, you know. I stop at some point with a long story. All go, day what long. Am I doing? <laughs> yeah, because I, uh-huh. I don't have any, there's no, word economy is not important until I have to edit it. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Right. <laughs> and I do take a lot of words out in the editing process. I was like, wow, I really just kind of went off on that. But with short stories, you know, and actually I like that, really like that you're not doing a um, daily word count thing because um, for me I write better when I get to a logical stopping point and I can go, okay, based on my outline this should have taken 5,000 words and it took 8,000, <laughs> oops, <laughs> and oops. Mm-hmm. take a moment to stop and reevaluate what I'm doing rather than putting out the first 1,300 words that I wrote. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. For me, last year, I totally blew it on Harry Potter. So did I. So so my first um, fandom, when I picked a fandom, was Harry Potter, and I'll tell you why. Because I failed last year to make a Harry Potter story that was 10K. So my goal this year is to write a 15K Harry Potter story, and I'm going to keep doing it until I actually accomplish it. It is really difficult to write Harry Potter in a short form. It is. I flopped at that one too. There's last just so year. much. And now that you yeah. said that, I am next year. I'm going to make this my top priority is to write a 15k Harry Potter story. Because that's a really good um, thing to go back and and see if I can do as, it. As, as somebody who completely tanked April, uh, and I had 20k that I was supposed to play with. Yeah, no, 20k I tanked at Harry Potter. You know, I'm going to take it on yeah, one and two. There's just no fucking way. Now, it might also really be difficult. because my plot, well, my plot wasn't exactly, you know, geared for 20K. So we'll see where where I end up. But I'm willing to bet my plot's at least 50 to, to, to 75, if not more, just based off of what I decided this is what I'm going to write. And that's something you need to think about because um, – if you're going to have a story where you've got you've got a rich political background that you at least need to lay the bare bones out, that's going to take up a good chunk of your your word count there. You know, think about what you're you're deciding as your story and how this is going to work because your setup is is going to be what sucks everybody in. Okay. Um, if you need to figure out all this behind-the-scenes stuff first and write it down so that way when you pick it up, you're just plopping somebody right in the middle and the explanations happen around the action, you might want to do that now because, I mean, it's May. You know, <laughs> it is get May. It ahead of time. Okay, Here, here's the thing. I actually plotted 10K, and I am very good at plotting exactly what I want to write. If I say these three scenes are going to 
take me 5K, then those three scenes are going to take me 5K. Now, I plotted both of my stories for the challenge last year in July, and they were both plotted at 10K apiece. My Harry Potter, my Harry Potter story was 24K when I finished it. <laughs> and I plotted for 10K. And there are no scenes in The Magical Promise that I did not plot. And I still managed to bust the challenge by doubling. My story's 24K. I totally fucked that up. Harry Potter's very difficult to write in short form, even when you're a methodical and kind of anal retentive plotter like I am. So I'm going to do this until I accomplish it. And I fully expect to fail it again this year, but I'm going to try. I'm gonna try real yeah, hard. Yeah, I'm gonna be. I'm I'm gonna laugh. I I I routinely laugh at at that, but you know whatever. It happens. Twenty four k. It's ridiculous. But I mean, I love, actually, I love the story, and when I finished it, I really enjoyed it. It's just it wasn't. Um, and there's nothing extra in it. That's the point that kills me is that I still that I plotted 10k and I plotted 10k the way I would plot any other time I've written 10k and I'm very good at it. I'm very good at writing 10k. Um and I still managed to for some reason I cannot and I did the same thing with Magic's Justice, which is the last episode I did for Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, or the most recent episode I did, not the last one. That would imply that, that was the end and it's not the end. So nobody email and ask me about that fucking shit. I promise. Don't do it. Um, I plotted 10K and wrote 20. <clears throat> now you'll notice that most of the episodes in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond are between 10 and 15K. That's on purpose. Um, but for some reason, um, Magic's Justice didn't work out that way. And even though I plot the same way I always plot, I don't even know. Maybe court scenes lend themselves to more words. That's a distinct Maybe. possibility. Because, I mean, it's all Hello, talking. I'm an asshole. And I, yes, but it, it, a fair amount of it seems to be, hello, I'm an asshole, let me speak. You know? And that seems to be, you know, what happens with some of the, the people in court scenes. So. There's nothing in that episode that wasn't plotted. That's what kills me, is that when I'm plotting and I go off the rails, and I double my word count by accident, I expect that, right? But when it comes to Harry Potter, even if I follow my plot document to the letter, sometimes I still manage to double the word count, and it makes no sense. It's it, it's like, um, it's magic. <laughs> it's something. This is This is one of the many reasons why, if you ever break anything again, I'm literally expecting 200,000 words in my inbox. I, I think I think with um, Harry Potter, there's <coughs> character. It's not plot creep. There's character creep. Um, there right. are so many. There are so many characters. Both and in, in, in your verse, you've got wonderful OCs on top of the canon characters. I mean, just in um, just in, in the in the story that I wrote last year, I get pinged all the time 
about, well, what about this person's reaction? And you didn't mention what this person was doing, and how did they feel about this? I mean, it, it happens like at least once a week somebody asks me, well, why didn't I have Remus involved, and why don't I see what the Weasleys were doing in that? And there is uh-huh. this whole this whole this enormous character set and i think there's there's this it's hard not to just keep pulling them in right no i agree um i uh one of the one of the pieces of feedback i got like literally after i wrote magic so justice magic justice and i had put it up and someone like was they said that it was great but they wished that I had taken it all the way to Hogwarts so the students at Hogwarts could have had a um, reaction to the court. Yeah, no, that would have added another 5K. Or 10. Or 10. <laughs> There's a lot of people at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they wanted to have a the reaction from Hogwarts. And I'm thinking, that doesn't actually serve my plot. Because that would have been plot creep. Now, a lot of times, you know, since I write that story basically from Harry or Hermione's point of view, um, there's no need to include what anybody else thought about that court process. It doesn't serve my plot. And a lot of times when it comes to plot creep, it's because you're putting points of view in that make no difference. Everything that you put in seems to, I mean, it seems to be a, a legit point. There's there's a reason for everything, and that's, that's, that's a good thing for this. I mean, and that's, well, that's something Well, Billy's right. It wasn't plot creep. It. it was character creep. My characters got wordy on me. Your characters were in the middle of a court scene. Of course they got wordy. You know? <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's what it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's dialogue. Okay. Yes, and then there's which Dale. I added just for Cinna. Yes, Cinna. I did. I did that just for Cinna. Yeah, well, it was it was well appreciated. Yeah. So. I will say this: twisted. Not a single one of my betas pointed out where I should have put a sex scene in Magic Justice. Exactly. Magic where Justice. are we going to shoot more sex into that? <laughs> There was nowhere to stick sex. It um I mean, it wouldn't have served purpose. It would have been gratuitous and um mm-hmm. it also I think would have been out of place because that so such a matter it was does. so serious. And mm-hmm. if and if Harry had watched an execution and then come ho- come back to Hogwarts and gone to bed with his girl, that would have been kind of icky. Well no, it it would have been okay for him to slide into bed with Hermione and hug her and hold her and get comfort from that. But slight in, in the bed expecting to get a blowjob would have been bad. It just it wouldn't have gone over. I think so. I don't think it would have you been know? fit for his character either. No, because no. he was upset at the end of that, and it, and it wouldn't mm-hmm. have been a fit for his character. No. And especially considering he talked about... Consent and all the rest rough, of those things. Basically. And, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know... Mm-mm. All the things he talked about, there's no way he would have done that shit. Now there is a scene in the next part where um, there's a brief, um, you get a you get a tiny look at the fallout 
of of the actual ritual being discussed because a lot of people had no idea what the content of that ritual actually was. And, and so great. a lot of these that's... students had no idea what the content was because um that's a you know something that dark wizards do and dark magic is largely unfamiliar to most of the population and they mm-hmm. had no idea what the content was and it wasn't being discussed because the British magic the British government was hiding it. They were hiding the sacrifices, so it wasn't even being discussed in general terms. And so a lot of these kids at Hogwarts are having to come to terms with the fact that this is a spoiler if you haven't read it and you turn off the um, show, um, that Jenny ate another witch's heart. They had no idea. That's just fucking So dealing with that is – so there -hmm. there is a scene where – you see a glimpse of what the students are going through. So I thought that served purpose, but it is an extensive, and then it moves, moves, moves. It moves, 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 because it has to, because there's more to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's more to do. Anyways, so that's the point when you're um, when you're working through a story, especially a short story, is that every scene, every sentence, every piece of dialogue, every character has to have purpose. If your character has no purpose, in your story, they have no business being in your story. And if you keep them in your story, that's just author vanity. And that's fine. There's nothing, there's a lot wrong with it. But if you want to do it, you go right ahead. <laughs> I'm just saying. You can do what you want. Yeah. vanities, especially when it comes to yes, my fan fiction, because a lot of time I don't, um, I, there's no freedom for me professionally, so I'll do things in mm-hmm. fan fiction that, um, that I should not and would not do professionally, because I get mm-hmm. bored, and so, like, I bash the fuck out of the uh, Jenny and Ron, which I really legitimately would not do in professional work. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't indulge in a hate on for a character like that, even a villain. Um, in my in my professional work, my my, my villains are three dimensional. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in one of them, actually, my villain actually ends up being more likable than my hero, um, <clears throat> which was pointed out to me um, by my agent when she asked me. Um, after she read it, she says, "Did you have to kill him? Because couldn't you redeem him in the next book? He didn't do anything really bad." So I wrote back and asked her if she'd watched Thor, and she told me to shut up. So she's obviously a Loki fan. Oh God, um, that's just fabulous. So yeah, you know, I I, I wouldn't indulge in the kind of. Uh, Character bashing that I do uh, in fan fiction that I do professionally. So um, I do have some some vanities when it comes to fan fiction. <laughs> fan fiction is a nice way of of relaxing and letting go, and just frankly, it lets all the creative juices hang out. It's nice. It's it's definitely. Um, you can go and take that runner down this 
this this path of oh hey look at this particular situation let's play with it you know and that's fun so Billy have you um, published professionally you don't have to say if you don't want to not fiction I have so so much nonfiction out there but not fiction which is a whole different beast. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Are you interested in that or no? Oh, very much. Yeah, very much so. I definitely want to um, get original fiction in process at some point. I actually think I would do better with original fiction with shorter stories, which is one of the reasons why I was so excited about feeling really engaged with what we're doing in July because um, I really want to build that skill set because it actually is my weakest point is um, writing short. It feels very awkward. It's to definitely me. a challenge. It's a, it's definitely a challenge. It can be. It can be. It's it's not easy for me to do it. Um, the best way I I end up learning I've learned how to do it is uh, it's basically each. Um, scene or chapter is its own beginning, middle, and end or whatever, and it's, you know, I just start tying together everything and try and figure it out that way. And I'm a lot more panster than than Kira is, but even, I I mean, (laughs) I'm learning because of this to put down at least where I want my highlights to be for, for what I'm doing, and I need to hit the highlights. Okay? And so... That is a a really um, a good way for me to be able to stay on track, but still be able to say, okay, um, I'm going left here instead of right, and I'll still get to my high point, but I like this path better. You know, and it's my way of being comfortable. You know, it, it's it's when not I start scary. pantsing. When I start panting away from my plot, um, is that how I get the two hundred k in my inbox? Sometimes, um, which I don't allow myself to do professionally, but I do do it in fan fiction. But when that happens, I stop because I realize at that point that my plot, there's something wrong with it. Because mentally, my process over the last thirty years has been basically the same ever since I was a kid. Um, so if I start pantsing, that means somewhere in my plot I fucked up and my brain's letting me know, hey, you've you've made a mistake here. You need to stop and look. What is your plot missing that, you know, you're trying to fill in unconsciously? Because so, so as a plotter, when I start pantsing or when I go off the rails, it's because somewhere in my plot I made a mistake. So I back up and do some more plotting. And start over, not start over the story, but like just get back on track because that means I've made a mistake. So if you're a plotter and you find yourself going off the rails or you take a left instead of a right, as Lady Holder said, stop, check your plot, check all your points, check your characters, because somewhere along the line you've probably um, inserted Taking something. That left of and, right, and you've you've made a mistake somewhere and you need to back up and check it out because um, that's how you get plot holes. 
for me, it's usually um, usually when I'm off of where I intended to go or where I thought I was going or what my desired outcome was going to be, and I'm writing something different. It's often because the character, the way I wrote them, doesn't match the plot. So for me, it's a characterization right. issue usually. And what happens is I've now spent, you know, 100,000 words sometimes with a character, and they're really well established, and I'm trying to force them down this path that doesn't make sense for the way I've written them. And I'm trying to catch that sooner in my writing process that I'm not so invested in the story that I realize I've written the character right. contrary to my plot. And it happens, and that's something that you learn over time to to um to work with. And we all, st- I still do it. I still make those mistakes. And I d- I think that as a writer, um, you never stop learning, and you never stop getting better. And you shouldn't. There shouldn't be a point as a writer when you stop trying to improve, and there shouldn't be a point as a writer when you stop reading. And this is super, super, super important. The best writers are avid readers. You learn more as a writer, whether you realize it or not, by reading really good fiction than you will in any writing class. You can learn word economics, you can word I mean learn grammar, you can learn structure, you can learn all of this in a class. But what you cannot learn is the feeling that comes with reading a really good story. In prime example I was having a really rough patch as a writer, and I stopped writing, and um, I wasn't reading. And when I cannot write, I make myself read. Because the last time I had a big block, and it lasted five years, I did not write a single word for five years. Jesus. And for those of you who have, have seen me in fandom, you you realize the bulk of my fandom writing, but what you don't realize is that I probably write between 50 and 100K a month. And I went yeah, five years right. without writing a single word. I also wasn't reading. And I picked up a book in a bookstore because my husband was looking for some manual he needed. Um, I forget what for. Some Windows thing. Um <clears throat> And it was a book by Elizabeth Peters, and it was called The Ape That Guards the Balance. Good and I picked it up because the cover looked really interesting, and I opened it up, and I read the first chapter standing right there in the aisle. And then I bought that book and brought it home, and I realized it was a series, and I went back to the bookstore, and I bought the entire series. I laid down a serious amount of money for that series because it was like book 13 or 14 in a, in a series. And... um She gave my writing back to me because I was so inspired by her storytelling and her character building and her plotting and just just the immense amount of talent this woman has. And so now when I'm blocked, I don't let myself get deep. I go read 
And if it's really a block, I pick up the ape that guards the balance. Because I think kind of um, Elizabeth Peters really is my... She is the... She's the rider that guards my balance. <laughs> if it works, it works. Because I lost it. I, I lost it for a long time, and um, she gave it back to me. Um, and uh, so I think that as a rider, when you, uh, you you have to not let yourself fall into that trap if you can help it in any way. So um, be a reader. Because mm-hmm. I don't think you can continuously write well if you're not. If you have to it's listen to audio books, if you don't have time to actually read, if you don't have time to read, you don't have time to write. Um, I know that's sometimes an unpopular opinion, um, but I believe it. Because I actually have a writer in my writer's group who does not read anybody but herself. Oh, that's depressing. How are you supposed to get new views and get challenged and stuff? That's just stupid. I have to echo Senna <laughs> on that one. <laughs> it is stupid. And the first time she told me this, this was about ten years ago, because we were talking, me and a friend of mine were talking about reading, um, um, something and it was a J.D. Robb book, maybe no. It was a Nora Roberts book. Mm-hmm. Um, who is J.D. Robb? But there is a difference between Nora Roberts yeah. and J.D. Robb. There is a yeah, big difference between their books. <coughs> Even if it is the exact same writer. Um, the style difference. Anyway, and she said to me, and she said to us, because I asked her if she'd read the book, and it was a really good book, and I forget what it is, um, what it was. Um, and she says, oh, I don't, know, I don't read anybody else but myself. And everybody at the table kind of turned, looked at her, and I went, "What?" Um, um. And so, out of curiosity, I picked up her book. <laughs> now, here's the thing that I see sometimes in fan fiction is that writers don't understand the structure. Of a novel. Let me give you a few pointers. Mm-hmm. Two characters cannot have cannot share dialogue in the same paragraph. Oh yes. Oh God. That's my biggest pet. You piece. cannot. Come on. Depending on now, in in some countries, dialogue is sectioned off by um. Like okay, like in German, I think the dialogue is sep- is, is by uh. They use the number sign on different sides of uh, dialogue to, you know, to frame it. In some countries, it's a single quote. In the U.S., mm-hmm. it's a double quote for dialogue. Um, <clears throat> she wasn't used double. She wasn't using any kind of um, um, dialogue. She wasn't using any kind. And I was like. I kept reading and thinking, is this what is this? And so, and it was written in first person and in second oh. person, which is honestly one of the most common mistakes for first person writers is writing in second person. And what that means is, is that she's writing in first person, but while she's writing in first person, she's also talking directly to you as 
the reader. And you don't do that. That is terrible craft work. I read one chapter of this book, and she asked me for my input, and I said, I, I, I can't. And I just handed it back to her. Um, yeah. That's that's not good. That's One thing that I would, I would if, if you write in first person and it's difficult, I've been considering doing a first person challenge, but I think people will get really outraged. Um, when you write in first person, here are some rules. You can't talk to the reader. There's no breaking You can't that have more than one then. POV. There's one POV in first person. Two, if you alternate characters by chapter, which I think is frankly lazy and stupid. I, Sounds frustrating. If you write too. in first person, you pick one character and you stick with it, bitches. I mean it. And don't you talk to the reader. I will talk bad about you. No, seriously, though, two characters cannot have dialogue in the same fucking paragraph. If you learn nothing else from me ever in your life, take this to the bank. Two characters cannot have dialogue in the same paragraph. Also, NCIS fandom... I want to talk to you about dialogue and telephone conversations. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! I know. I know. It's the. It's the. You're in the person's point of view, so it's my point of view, and we're only expressing my side of the conversation in alternating. I fucking hate that. It's Your character can hear what's happening. Okay, here's the only reason why. You wouldn't express both sides of the conversation during a phone call. If your POV character isn't the person on the phone, the person you're POVing in can't, uh, won't hear what's happening on the other end of the line. But if you're in, say Gibbs takes a phone call and you're in Gibbs' point of view, he can fucking hear what's on the other end of the phone. So it should be represented in the goddamn dialogue, okay? Not just one big block of Gibbs talking and pausing. No, not even any pausing. There's not even any pausing. It's just, quote, yeah, quote, 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 new quote, 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 I wanted to stab somebody in the fucking forehead. There is a scene in what might have been where Rodney takes a phone Well, Rodney and John have um, a phone call. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, no, it's they're at the dinner table, and it's and it switches to Rodney's point of view, and he doesn't want to answer his phone, so John does. And the phone is the phone call takes place in Rodney's point of view, so he can't hear what the Prime Minister of Canada is saying. So John is responding to the Prime Minister, and so I had to work it in such a way that you, as the reader, could figure out what the Prime Minister was saying based on John's responses, because it was in Rodney's mm-hmm. point of view. If that scene had taken place, that part had taken place in John's point of view, you would have heard both sides of the conversation. Because John could hear it. I'm just saying, assholes, I, that is the most frustrating experience I've ever had in fan fiction. I, I closed four different stories for doing it. 
What is wrong with you, NCIS fandom? <laughs> well, and the first time you read it, you don't know that that's what's going on. You're like, this is really weird dialogue because you think it's alternating dialogue, and it's not. And you're going, right. I don't understand. But it's not. <laughs> it's just one person talking to themselves. And what? See, that's really interesting because that is a common phenomenon in the NCIS fandom. I've never seen it anywhere else. And I read a lot of fandoms that I don't talk about because I'm embarrassed. <laughs> like, I read Teen Wolf. I've been reading Teen Wolf mm-hmm. for a while, but I don't really share that too often. I've been reading NCIS on and off. I don't read Criminal Minds too much, so I think the fandom's kind of immature. But, um, <clears throat> that's, okay, so that happens a lot in NCIS. And sometimes there are just like these little quirks that get passed from one writer to another. And that's what's happening in the NCIS fandom, that phone call thing. One author did it and it kind of, it kind of like mutated into this disease that just swept like the plague through the entire fandom. Stop it. That's light rimming and inception. <laughs> How often do you read a story in Inception that has sex in it that doesn't have rimming? It's probably pretty rare. Because Seriously, there, there are ty- there are typos that take over certain fandoms too. It's like they're for you know we had this in X Files where apparently everybody had a prostrate. <laughs> oh boy! It was like it was the most pervasive typo in the entire fandom was prostrate, and people were learning it from reading other fic, right? And it's like typos take over a fandom. It really doesn't surprise me um, because, you know, I'll be frank, a lot of fan fiction writers, and I know I was one of them, we learned our craft because of, well, what we were reading. And, yeah, I got kind of forcibly, or not kind of, let's be real, I got forcibly um, shown some of the massive errors of my ways. And... um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm learning, and it's it, things are changing, but it wasn't um, it wasn't something that I knew I was doing wrong, at least to start. I know now, but didn't didn't understand, didn't yeah, know, so, you know, when I started out. I think that when so, if your goal is to write professionally, that you need um, to read professional works as well. Um, I'm not saying yes, you need to abandon fandom. Every... I get a great deal of pleasure out of fandom. Um, yeah, so, but I, I will say this. There but is, if you're going to write professionally, fans... you need to write, you need to read professionally as well. So. Yeah, but there is some <clears throat> professional stuff out there that you really have to wonder, what in the fuck? I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's like, utterly depressing. Really? That got yeah. published? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> Azura says you need to read great stuff to write great stuff, and, yes, I totally agree. You do. I. You don't. You grow and you learn as a writer by being exposed to other writers and their work. I think that my most creative points in my life is when I've been um, – in large writing groups where I was able to 
to really interact with other writers, which is, I think, the true value of Rough Trade. I mean, it's the true value of Rough Trade. It's it's not about the challenge environment, um, which is helpful. It's um, mm-hmm. it's about interacting with other writers and seeing how they put together concepts. It's especially interesting during the Soulmate Challenge to watch other writers approach the same concept from an entirely different perspective. It was really fun to watch. And I think that when it comes to this Sentinel thing, that we'll have the same experience, that we're all having these same themes, but we're approaching them in really different ways. So it'll Apparently be fun to, told, to watch that. Yeah. Apparently I've been told that you should read Echo's comment on the air. Now understand, I'm nowhere near the the, print, the monitor, so I'm just as clueless as, as as the rest of the people who are going to be listening to this thing. So can you enlighten okay. me or should Echo I just be says, <laughs> Echo says, a prostrate is a little man in the arse that is worshipping the prostate. <laughs> okay then. Now, now you know. That's now I know. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> apparently it's got her tickle something fierce. <laughs> I do think that you know, Thor says in minion chat and interacting with minions kicked my three-year writer's block. I do think that other writers are super inspiring. Um. You get the most out of your craft when you're around other writers, which was um, kind of my selfish reason for creating Rough Trade because I was going through kind of a little um, disenchantment myself. And so I kind of wanted to interact with writers in a different way. So that's where the first um, Naked Nano challenge came from. And Naked Nano gradually became Rough Trade. And um, mm-hmm. I uh, it's I was like, I just... I. I need to see other writers doing this. And um and so I set that first challenge up and writers came out and did it with me and I was like, "Wow, well, really that that mm-hmm. happened?" I, cuz I didn't honestly expect a response. I was like, "Let's just see what happens." Um <clears throat> and so seeing other people put their stories together <clears throat> and do that was really beneficial and I think that <clears throat> That's the that's the true value of, of of rough trade. That not only are you interacting with other writers and you're exploring these concepts and you're learning new trade craft, um, that you're being inspired by uh, other writers and and how they approach a topic or a subject. So I kind of think that um, that the uh, the little black dress challenge will end up being our um, our real uh, go to thing. Yeah. I, I think so because you learn so much. Like what I do this year won't be <coughs> what I do next year for the same concept because you're going to be exploring. I mean, you you have your foundation and then you can just launch mm-hmm. yourself off of it in 3,000 different ways, and that's going to be so much fun. Like, for instance, I plotted my Harry Potter and then I threw my plot out after I got my cover art because – Hello, did you see my fantastic cover mm-hmm. art for my Harry Potter story? And I thought I did. I originally plotted Harry Potter as the Sentinel. After I got my hmm. cover art, I replotted it, and Hermione is my Sentinel. There's a thought. And I'm looking so forward to writing it. 
I'm super you excited. You don't have very many. So you don't have as many. Um, no. I don't think you have any split pairs like that where you've got have, a male and a female. No, I oh, don't. Yeah, no, no. all my males are sentinels. No. Um. Oh. Well, no, I do have one, Laura. Well, Laura Cadman is... And Elizabeth and yeah. Simon. Yes. Thank you. And then I also have Anne, but her guide's a, a, a woman. Uh-huh. But I like the idea of a, of, of a female sentinel, and um, I'm, well, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, I'm super looking forward to it. So, you know, how we approach these these topics this year won't be how we approach them next year. And we, you know, can you can you can evolve and, and move and grow. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have the safety of this foundation that the challenge gives you that you can launch off of every single time. So, I'm, th- I'm thinking it's going to be really great. So, I think it's going to be an interesting <laughs> to see where everything rolls out. <laughs> And Twisted Rar says, and there's a large bonus of Sentinel fic that doesn't involve the usual Sentinel writers. I actually expect some backlash. I would warn you if you're new to the Sentinel fandom and um, you don't, (laughs) yeah, fuck them. If you don't, (laughs) from the peanut gallery, if you, um. I told you what my dick was. You never put me on the air. She's saying she can be on the air too, you know. If you write in the sen- if you've never written in the Sentinel fandom, and um, you get some backlash from Sentinel readers who don't appreciate how you structured your stuff or how your guide isn't a girl with a dick, if you write a boy guide or um, you know just just whatever you do, um, and, and you get backlash from that fandom and they send you an email, you tell them to kiss my ass. You know, I'm actually surprised. You know, um, since you mentioned it earlier, I am actually surprised I did not get shit because I had the the suggest or the 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 accepted pair or split for the pairing at the time I wrote my Sentinel stuff was John was the guide and and Rodney was the Sentinel and Rodney's Sentinel had to be delicate and I basically <laughs> said fuck that shit. Oh yeah. In what no. world is Rodney McKay delicate? That's what my kid just said. And yeah, I <laughs> uh, no, there there's no plant, no no place under God's green earth or whatever color you know sun they're under that Rodney McKay is delicate. You know, it's just it just does not compute, and it never did. And you know, I'm nothing against the writers who did it because I enjoyed their stories. Um, I, I will be truthful and honest in that, but I looked at it and I went, you know, no, it's just it's just not working for me, and I'm going to sit here and you know tilt my head 90 degrees and run with it. Where John's the sentinel because, quite honestly, John is the more deadly of the two, and um, Rodney is his guide, and he's. He's got his problems. He's got, you know, he's he's going to be. He'll okay. run off at the mouth. We gotta, we're we're, we're down to forty six seconds. You're kidding! Oh my god! Okay, yeah, go for it. Um, <laughs> we're we're down to forty seconds. Um, there's obviously a lot of topic here. Uh, we might talk about it again next week. And um, 
You guys have a great week. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And um, no ass to remember, mouth. no ass to mouth. Shut up and sit down. <laughs> Can't wait for summer? Old Navy's huge summer sale starts now. All jeans, all tees, all dresses, and all shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Jeans start at $15 for adults, $10 for kids. Shorts from $12 for adults, $7 for kids. Buy online and pick up in-store for free today. All jeans, tees, dresses, and shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 5-6 to 5-12. Excludes in-store clearance. Active, licensed, men's packaged, and flag tees.